What's going on everybody? This is Carson, also known as Mets Fan from YouTube. You're listening to the official Mets Weekly Podcast hosted by four Mets fans who are brutally honest and don't hold back. Make sure to head over to our YouTube channel and follow us on TikTok for exclusive content on each platform. So with that being said, let's go Mets and enjoy the show. So get this, one of the greatest players of all time, Babe Ruth, he would eat rotting fish for dinner almost every single night. He smoked like a chimney and he drank like a fish. He did all of that stuff off the field. And then on the field, he was guaranteed to hit 50 nukes a season. Daniel Vogelbach, he does absolutely none of those off the field activities and he does not even swing a bat. Very similar weight. Very similar weight as well. And that is how obesity has gone from a historic anomaly to a global epidemic. (laughs) Episode 20 of the Mets Weekly Podcast. 60 Minutes of Brutal Honesty begins right now, and that's where the intro is. So y'all know the drill, but I'm going to continue to say it every single week. Make sure to subscribe to the Mets Weekly channel for content throughout the week. Follow us on Twitter, TikTok, and all our individual links are in the description. So the Mets currently sit at two games over 500. They're playing better. They've won seven of their last 10. They are coming off of a series in Chicago, which we will get more indescriptive on that now currently in the middle of a series in Denver where they won the first game and uh, we got a pretty good performance from Max Scherzer. Yeah, I mean, there definitely were some ups that we'll talk about. There definitely were some lows that we'll talk about, but uh, the main thing right now, they're above 500. Obviously they're playing better than they did before and they just got to keep it going. I mean, they have made those slight improvements with the roster. Uh, There's still a couple more that need to happen, which we'll get to, but Definitely trending in the right direction, and um, I, I definitely want to see just a couple things tweaked a little bit here and there, and, and I think they'll definitely be on the right track. At this point, they've, they've shown a little bit more life. They've shown that they actually want to compete, and they don't look dead. Uh, there's still tons of things that I would love to complain about, but that's just coming in on a daily basis. And, and as we are currently filming this right now, the Braves just lost to the Phillies. Zach Wheeler with an excellent start. Wheeler was great, contributing to his former Mets fandom. That's great. And the Mets have two more games in Colorado. So yeah, we're starting to see the young guys. Looks like they're starting to get their regular playing time, most likely just being Beatty and Alvarez. And then we have Vientos, who it looks like is going to get more playing time this week. And uh, hopefully they make a bigger decision on that very, very soon, because there's definitely a few lineup changes that they have to make. But other than that, let's get into the events of Mets week. And we're going to start off with the series in Chicago where we went to Wrigley Field. And that means that we would face former Met Marcus Stroman on Wednesday night. Stroman threw an eight inning gem of two run ball, allowing just four hits 
and doing what he does best, a season-high 18 ground balls produced. But with Strowman and a former team of his, you knew that there will be controversial antics and trash talk. After the game, when asked about his eighth-inning celebration, Strowman said this regarding the Mets. I really don't want to play into it much, to be honest with you. Younger me may have seen this as a revenge game. Now, shortly after an anonymous Met responded to the celebration saying that Strowman should show some respect, be a professional, it's not all about you. The drama between the Mets organization and Strowman has definitely grew to its peak after the 31-year-old pitcher had some very brash words to say regarding the Mets front office via Twitter last offseason. Yeah, I mean, I definitely thought the celebration was a little excessive. I mean, this is a regular season game in May uh, between two teams who have no rivalry, really. So it wasn't that big of a game. I mean, you're just talking about like a regular Wednesday night in Wrigley Field. So I think the celebration was a little uncalled for. It's not like he was throwing a no-hitter or a perfect game. I mean, it was just the overall, like you said, it was a really good start. But um, I, you could definitely tell that there was something extra because let's just say for the sake of argument that Marcus Stroman has his very next start, another great eight-inning outing. He isn't going to celebrate like that. So he could say all he wants about, oh, I try not to play too much into it. But actions speak louder than words. And then when you're taking the Twitter to post an emoji, you know, was it was this eight minutes after the game? Retweeting Tim Healy's spoiler at the end of the game. I mean, you know. Yeah, so, I mean, we, we know he's had uh, it out for the New York media, uh, particularly the Mets reporters. I mean, we, could, we don't have to go too much into that. We've talked about it before, uh, way back when, when it actually happened. Like you said, at this point, I'm kind of over Marcus Stroman. Like, he had his good moments with the Mets, but then he left, and, you know, it was all right because uh, Bassett came in, he pitched well, then Sanga took over. So it, it just feels like that, that book is closed, and then I haven't really thought about him much after that. It's not something where it's like, oh, you know, you you want to win every game. I mean, you know, to me, like, whether they're playing the Cubs with Stroman's pitch or someone's pitch, I just want the Mets to win the game. But uh, you don't want to be shown up by an opposing player. I, I think that's just pretty embarrassing overall and just overall very disappointing. But I do think that you talked about Marcus Stroman having, you know, the season high of 18 ground balls. We know when Marcus Stroman's at his best, it's inducing a lot of ground balls and being very economic with his pitch count. I mean, for him to go eight innings and only be at 88 pitches, that's where you see the best version of Marcus Stroman. And he's facing a team that loves to put the ball on the ground. So it would make sense why the Mets are a good matchup for Stroman. I mean, between Nimmo and McNeil and Marte and Vogelback and Canna and all these guys that just constantly put the ball on the ground, I mean, it made sense why he's able to induce so many, uh, get out of a lot of jams, you know, double plays and things like that. So it was just overall a very frustrating game, especially when uh, the thing that bothered me the most about the Mets' whole performance was the fact that Francisco Alvarez was the only guy who had any kind of good game. I mean, he had the big home run going against the Wrigley Field win, and just overall, over this past month, Francisco Alvarez statistically has been the New York Mets' second best hitter. Overall, uh, will they see him again? Maybe. But uh, I, I just think it definitely was frustrating and it was excessive. Yeah, I mean, it was a lot. And we all know that Marcus Stroman, he's someone who definitely pitches with a chip on his shoulder. He's got this, you know, height don't measure heart type of thing. Uh, he's a small guy. He always talks about how he's underestimated and that's just how he is. That's the kind of mentality that he always has. And he's out there to compete. My whole thing about this is that I don't really blame Strowman at this point because he dominated the living shit out of us. And the reason why is because, and I wasn't really upset about 
that much that Strowman did, but like the anonymous Met who also doesn't want to show their face. So we know it's not Tommy Pham, but the anonymous, <laughs> the anonymous Met basically saying, you know, show some respect, you know, be a professional. It's not all about you. You made it all about him. He destroyed you. He absolutely fucking dominated you the whole goddamn game. The only shown, the only piece of life that was shown was by a 21-year-old rookie. That was like the entirety of your offense against Strowman in eight freaking innings. The thing about Strowman is that, yes, he is 100% spiteful, a very vindictive asshole, 100%. And I've always said that I respect Strowman as a pitcher. He's a fantastic athlete. But as a person, he can be extremely insufferable. You didn't do yourself any favors by not hitting by not doing anything so there's no abs there's absolutely no reason as to why anybody should comment on his celebration because they didn't have any they had no leverage to do so whatsoever we can cover showing but my one big annoying thing from the first game is the lineup that the mets put out there and what bothers me the most about it was the fact that they had the day off on monday so and you just came off a really big win on Sunday against Cleveland. You know, on national television, Lindor makes the big, you know, against Cleveland, all that fun stuff. And then you have a day off. So you're like, okay, since we got the rest, we should have our ace lineup ready to go in the first game against the Cubs because everyone should be rested. And then you proceed to start Eduardo Escobar, Tommy Pham, and Gary Sanchez all on the same day. <laughs> and to make it worse, you batted Escobar second. So – let me get this straight. The new, you know, age, the train of the uh, age, the new age of thought is that okay, your best player bats second, not the guy who has been so bad he doesn't play anymore. So when he does play, now he bats second. Like I just don't understand what's going through Buck Showalter's mind. Is it because he wanted another switch hitter in the lineup? Like you have Lindor for that. I'm pretty sure it's it's just his career against um, who is it? Is it uh, Drew Smiley? Yes. Yes, yeah. no, he does have a good, ridiculous career, yeah. Yeah, he does have good numbers against Drew Smiley. He hit the home run against them last year, but you could start him, fine, but he doesn't need to bat second. I thought that was a little ridiculous. Uh, and the fact that you had to take McNeil out of the game in favor of Escobar. I, I think, if anything, Tommy Pham is a guy who needs to go because he had the error that cost him that's a couple runs. So I just really didn't like uh, the way he went about that. Gary Sanchez, uh, that experiment didn't work out because Gary Sanchez behind the plate in a New York jersey – we know how it goes, uh, pass ball after pass ball. That's why I viewed him more as a DH. So, I mean, he just had so many uh, bad things going on at once that it really just – it was a bad way to start the series. And then when Strowman did that the game after, it was just very uh, – it was a bit of a letdown because you're feeling good. You win the series against Tampa. You win the series against Cleveland. You're on this little bit of a winning streak, and then you put out this lineup, and then that performance against Marcus Strowman, and then things were starting to get you know a little bad. And then we'll get to the good stuff later on, but – uh, just the way the, the ups and downs that could happen with the New York Mets team is always very frustrating. Yeah, and it's it's very avoidable. It really is avoidable. You don't have to voluntarily put Tommy Pham into your lineup. You don't have to voluntarily put Daniel Vogelbach into your lineup. And they just seem to do that and use the better options as just an addition, a luxury. And that's something that really pisses me off. And the thing is, is that about this lineup construction, we know that there's like, you know, an analytical staff that is around Buck Showalter deciding this, this lineup. It doesn't 
look like there is. There's no, I, you're the numbers guy. There's no analytics that says Francisco Alvarez should bat ninth and Escobar should bat second. Like there's no analytics. That That's what it. I mean. That's what I mean. I don't think there is. It's total BS. And not to mention Buck Showalter just coming out of retirement and getting all the seniority. Like I've said before, like weeks ago, I feel like he's making a lot more calls than he should be. And there's a a reason for that. And it just, for some reason, a lot of these moves look like he's the he has the face all over it. I did not pay attention closely with Billy Epler when he was in L.A., but I don't really know. And even then, I, I don't think there Joe was Madden, much overmanaging. So I, I would think Madden would have been. I mean, with the kind of you know, the kind of reputation he has, the way people talk about him, I feel like Madden would have had all the say anyway. So uh, Billy Epler has not really been in a situation where he had a manager who's very inexperienced and wouldn't get that say. So again, like you said, it's hard to do anything about that. But uh, my our main critique was just the fact of keeping the same offense. I really hope that both Billy and Buck, I mean, whoever's in charge, said, oh, you know what, we're good with what we have. I mean, if both of them agreed on that, they both need to go. That, that's the value. Whoever has the final say, uh, they both had the wrong take on the way they should address the team in the offseason. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a few things that they really just continue to contradict. There's a few things that they continue, continue to do right. And it comes to the point where it's like the definition of insanity is just doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting a different result. That's something that gets very, very aggravating, especially when you know that there's a very simple solution or a way that can actually make it better. Get to the most encouraging part of that series in Wrigley, and that being Carlos Carrasco, finally bouncing back with a quality start after a horrendous beginning to the 2023 season. Carrasco went 6.2 innings pitched, five hits, one earned run, two walks, four strikeouts, throwing exactly 100 pitches, with his fastball sitting at 92 to 93 miles an hour. This was the first time this season that Carrasco pitched beyond six innings, and the first time he went beyond six innings since August 8th of last year. Carrasco said that he was happy with everything this week and believes that he's starting to get a great feel of his off-speed and breaking stuff once again. The 36-year-old right-hander is lined up to face the Phillies at home this week on May 31st for his next start. It was nice to see Carrasco just finally have a good outing. I mean, he really needed it. Uh, The team needed it because... Uh, he's been the guy that I've been hard on the most just because he's just been so bad and I was not in favor of bringing him back. Uh, I've been of the mindset that, again, this team is too old, particularly in the starting rotation. And I think that, okay, you know what? You have Verlander, who just came off the Cy Young. You have Max Scherzer, who all in all had a good year, didn't end well, but he, ha- he still had a, one of his better seasons career numbers-wise. So, okay, I'm okay with the older guys' time rotation because those are two you know, bona fide Hall of Famers still playing well. I thought that adding Carrasco into the mix was a bit much with how he's continued to get worse and worse and all the injury history that he's had. So um, I've been against him all year long, and then he had bad outing after bad outing, had his injuries again, but then he finally has the good outing. And um, what's also great about it was just how deep in the game he went. That was the biggest thing for me. So he finally didn't get beat up, and he went deep into the ballgame. And there's that number that when a starting pitcher goes at least six innings for the Mets, they're 13-0. and 0. So for Carrasco finally do this was big. And also, it means less Steven Agosic, less Dominic Leone, and all these other bums that we'll get to later when the starting pitcher can actually go deep into the game. 
I think it definitely helped out Carlos Carrasco that he got some run support. The Mets had one of their better offensive games of the season. So that probably allowed him to pitch a little more relaxed, uh, and he was able to be more effective. So um, I was glad he found the big start. But, again, I'm an ERA guy. Even after that great start, his ERA is still 6.75. I need to see it a lot more times. You know, I, I don't want to just see, okay, you had a good start against the Cubs, and then here comes Schwarber and all these guys just home run after home run. I'm going to need more than this. So good start. Glad he did it, but let's keep it going. I can't say, oh, he's good now. We're all good. We don't need to get another rotation piece. Carrasco, he's back. You know, Cookie's here. I don't get that sense. Uh, I think that we've definitely seen a lot more bad than good, so I'm going to need to see a little more before you know I'm jumping for joy. Man, that sounds a little bit, like, very similar to another pitcher that we have. Can't imagine who you're talking about. 100% can't imagine. One thing that I really did like about this is that not to mention, it was so rare that you saw Carrasco go actual distance into the game. You also got to see the Mets score first yes. in a Carrasco start. Because in the first inning or at the beginning of the game, you always see the other team score first. Especially and that's only Carrasco because the Mets were the away team because Carrasco ended up giving up yeah. a home run in the first inning. He did. Anyway. And when he did, I was like, oh, here we fucking go again. Yeah. Like, that was... Uh, immediately as soon as that went off the bat and of course it danced it dansby swanson of course everything that go everything goes everything that goes into left center field with dansby swanson immediately makes my you know you know my my ass clench but it was definitely something that they 100 percent needed from the back end of that rotation because you know throughout this this year i understand that the starting pitching overall has not been great, but the support to it has been even worse. A win that the Mets needed, dropping two in the row. The Mets definitely needed a quality start from him because if not, he was probably reach. He was getting. He was already at that DFA territory, so he lives another day after this. I agree with you. I think he, he should have been DFA'd already. I don't know if they feel that way because I feel like knowing them. I don't, I don't get that sense, but we'll see. Yeah, but I feel like there was a feeling around it. I think that there was definitely a feeling where, you know, how long could you br like keep the leash for Carlos Carrasco? Let's be real for a second. I mean, I, I think the fact that they brought him back shows you all you need to know because I was already ready to get rid of him. Again, and I talk about this all the time. They did do the right thing with the uncertainty of the rotation, picking up his option, but they did not do the right thing not trading him. They yeah. should have managed that. And there was talks about him possibly getting moved, and he, they just didn't do it. Um, and we've seen that a lot of times with Billy Epler. He just has had a few trades in place. He's had a few things where they've talked about moving somebody, and then he doesn't end up doing it. I am not expecting Carrasco to give me a great outing. I'm not expecting Carrasco to be fantastic. I just need the guy to just be good enough to give me outs throughout five innings at this point until that contract completely runs out. Like that's literally all I'm hoping for right now. I'm hoping that he's out of the rotation by the trade deadline, but we'll see what happens. We don't have great pitching depth, but you know, at, at this point before this start that he had Joey Lucchese, Jose Budo, those guys were looking like better options than Carlos Carrasco, you know, and you know, those 6.2 innings that he just pitched this week that were great. That just lifted us off of it for, a little bit more. He lives another day, shall we say. And we're glad we got to start from him like this because the guy we were talking about last week dealt with a little bit of an injury this week. So uh, it might be a little bit uh, longer until we possibly see him, but he's day to day. 
I know how Mets fans love to to jump on these bandwagons very very early after a small little sample size, especially with pitchers. A certain lefty comes to mind, and this is what we're definitely getting from the rotation recently, which is length. And I'm glad to see a lot more length coming out of this rotation. Now, as the starting pitching is beginning to subside and provide length and some consistency, the bullpen has now become an area of concern. This season, Mets relievers are third in the MLB in total workload slash innings, whatever you want to call it, 16th in earned run average, 25th in fielding independent pitching, 6th in home runs per nine, and 25th in fan graphs wins above replacement. In the last month, the Mets bullpen has allowed 51 earned runs and has surrendered 16 long balls in just a total of 416 batters faced. At the current moment, the Mets do have six keynote relievers on the injured list, which is headlined by the loss of their star closer, Edwin Diaz. There are so many angles we can go out with this. I'm gonna tell you right now, there's the guys who shouldn't be pitching that are pitching way too much management of the bullpen as well we can talk about that because that has gotten really annoying but the main question i want to ask here overall is the bullpen overmatched or is it overworked so far i'm gonna say mostly overworked uh, because i feel like there is a little bit of hope in the back end the other guys that are in there there's they're overmatched they're no good they are minor league pitchers on a major league team and that's headlined by Drew Smith, who <laughs> <laughs> we talked about him, but he saw the models. And we said it last week, but he just continues to – he's on the slide. He's on the Drew swoon. I mean, he's giving up home runs to Nico Horner. It's just – it feels like now every outing that Drew comes out there, you have a funny feeling that, like you said, it's going to be the home run ball. And that's what concerns me the most about this bullpen is their tendency to give up home runs because – the Mets as an offense do not hit a lot of home runs. They're starting to do a little bit more now with the young pieces, but a lot of these other guys on this lineup, they still don't hit homers. So when the bullpen is giving up long balls, the Mets can't really answer back. So that's the thing that concerns me. And, and Drew Smith is very susceptible to those home runs. But uh, the other guys that we, again, I've talked about earlier, and we say it every week, but still see them far too often. Like, how is Dominic Leone and Tommy Hunter – and Steven Nagosik, how are these guys still here? I mean, that's what's just so frustrating about it. And we and you talked about, you know, the other guys that are on the injury list right now. And, you know, the minor league options, I feel like, I mean, give Josh Walker another try. Like, give some of these other guys another chance because how many years does Tommy Hunter need to be here? He's another guy who is just so old and getting older by the day. So do we think he's going to get better? I don't. I mean, I, I don't know what the Mets are doing because he's not going to get better. I mean, this is what he is. Steven Gosick, he just ain't that good. Uh, so I, I just don't know when they're going to actually address it. You know what I mean? Because, like, okay, in the offseason, you, you gave the big deal to Edwin Diaz. The first thing you did in free agency, this is a top priority for you. You lose him, you do nothing about it. So how big a priority was it for you? We'll see. You get D-Rob. I like that. He's been overworked. And we know I'll get to him next. I'll get to that later. But – uh, you know, you bring back Ottavino, mixed feelings on that. I hate that's a two-year deal. I would have aimed younger because, again, when it comes to bullpen, when they give you a great year as a Met, they're not going to give you a second great year. I mean, we've seen it time and time again, year in, year out. So I thought that was a very foolish decision on their part. And, and then, you know what, you bring in Brooks Raley, start off bad, got good, last outing, not good. So we'll, we'll see what happens as the season goes on. 
But I, I'm just mostly concerned. And also, like you said, the usage of these guys. That's the other thing. So you have the combination of the starting pitching being really bad so that the bullpen is overworked. And you have just pitchers who overall aren't very good. And then the third part is the usage of them. And I think it's very clear in a game like the one Carrasco pitched where you're bringing in Adam Adevito in a five-run, six-run game. Why? Uh, and I just think – and the same thing happened, I think it was the week before, where Adevito came in – they were down by a bunch, and then he pitched. And then the next game he had to pitch when it was a close game, and then he was as effective. Uh, David Robertson, they've had him go two innings. He's not a two-inning pitcher. He's an older pitcher. He's one inning at most. And then the other thing I didn't get about – we'll get to the Colorado game. I guess I'm going to have to fast forward a little bit because we're talking about bullpen. What the hell were they doing with Rayleigh and Robertson? Because you had Brooks Rayleigh warming up for like three innings. Dry humped the hell out the guy. And then he – by the time he came in, three innings later, he was walking everybody. I didn't see David Robertson warm up once. I saw Brooks Rayleigh warm up three different times, and all of a sudden Robertson's in the game. I'm like, did this guy even warm up? Where the hell did he come from? And then first pitch, Robertson, boom, home run. So I, I just don't get what they're doing a lot of the time as far as the decision-making with the bullpen. So I think there definitely is a combination of things. Uh, I think that if they could just uh, – they're going to need the starting pitcher to step up because a lot of the money is in the rotation. You know, the guys like Scherzer, Verlander, Sanga, they need to go deep into games consistently because if they do that, like I said earlier, it means less Nagosic, Hunter, Leon, these guys – and that will allow for Robertson not to have to pitch back-to-back-to-back days or two innings or out of to pitch back-to-back days. And I just think that it's going to take help from the rotation to kind of cover up all the cracks in the bullpen. When you talk about this bullpen and you talk about this day and age of baseball, you kind of need guys who throw really, really hard. You got to have guys who have that signature sweeper, who have that great movement, who have the high spin rate, stuff like that. And they don't have that. And that's the main reason why I will say that they're overmatched more than they're overworked. They don't have anyone who has high profile velocity in this bullpen. They don't. They absolutely don't. The high, the hardest thrower is probably Drew Smith, and he tops out at 97 occasionally. That's all you're looking at right now. Like At this point, all of our live arms are dead, in my, in my opinion. Diaz is out. Bryce Montes de Oca, he ain't coming back anytime soon. Sam Kunrud, he throws hard. Steven Ridings is a hard thrower. They All of these arms that they do have that throw hard, they don't have any of them. And all the guys that are available right now don't throw hard. And I understand that... We like these guys who th- the guys who don't throw hard, they stay a little bit more healthy. There's a reason why they stay healthy and they're not as dominant. It's just because they're not good. Like they're not that good. They're mid 90s. They don't throw hard. And it's it's easy to catch up to them. And if they were to miss spots, like all of these guys do, because the command in this bullpen is terrible, they're going to give up home runs because they have absolutely no life on their stuff whatsoever. I think it's safe to say, and Andrew's not here this week. I'd love to rub it in his face. I'm pretty sure he's avoiding us just for this very specific reason. Edwin Diaz ain't replaceable. End of story. You can't replace Edwin Diaz. There's a reason why he got $102 million. He's that dominant. And none of these guys are. And that's the problem. And maybe there was a possibility where they probably could have had Bryce be one of those dominant arms. He's not an option either. They're hurting. 
And are they overworked? It's possible they are because you're not getting much length from the starting rotation, even though you've gotten a lot recently. But I can tell you right now, it's just so, it's just not a good bullpen. It really, like just skill, there's just a lot of pieces that don't belong here whatsoever. And here's another thing that really annoys me. And we'll get, and I think we should, you know, talk about this a little bit deeper. When Buck Showalter brings in one of the three stooges at this point, I like to call him Negosic Leon Hunter, when we're just down by one run. Like, I understand that it's not time for a high leverage reliever like Adovino or Robertson to come into the sixth inning. Rayleigh, I know, could work different, different parts of a baseball game. I've seen this dude pitch in the sixth. I've seen him in the eighth. I've seen him finish games. I feel like they're not using any flexibility whatsoever. And speaking of those leverage, I don't understand why they don't use Jeff Brigham as a high leverage reliever at this point. He's earned the job. He 100% has earned the job. Tired, like you said, the three switch. I, I, I can't take them. They suck. Uh, but, I mean, what are they going to do about it? That, that's the problem. Uh, unfortunately, Dedwin Diaz's injury happened so late where there wasn't too much they could do. Uh, that's why, for me, I mean, it's not really a topic on here, but I think that as the year goes on, I really want to see them just address pitching. Uh, I, I think just in the future – with trades and things like that, we can talk about the big star hitters, this and that, but I want them to address pitching. I mean, I, I think when you see what Alvarez and stuff like that, and you know, what you're going to do with Parada and all this other stuff, like you got to keep pitching young pitching. Uh, so this way, uh, when these older guys get hurt, they need to have the bums fill in for them and the bums can't work deep into games. Then your bullpen gets overworked. Like, how about getting some young starting pitchers who are durable that could handle being out there in five days and then your bullpen be much better off. So I think just overall, as, as a team in general, they got to aim younger in the bullpen, in the rotation, healthy arms, like you said, high velocity, good stuff. And then you'll probably see better results. Because, I mean, uh, you'll see some of the other organizations that are really good pitching organizations, a bunch of guys you never heard of, but they all throw gas. Uh, they all have lights out stuff, and they're effective. The Mets, you got a bunch of old guys Throwing low, low velo, and they get bumped. So, I mean, I, I just don't know, like, what is it going to change? You know, and that's that's the thing that is very frustrating. That, yeah, I mean, you brought in some some guys, some names. You know, D. Rob, I like that. But like I said Adovino, I just didn't think that was the right move, especially for two years. I mean, I, I'm dreading the second year of Adovino. He's going to be a nightmare. So, I, I just they're just too old. It's just yeah. too old. And the back end of that that bullpen is too old. And let's not forget, Brooks Raley's 35. He's not young either. Brooks Raley, I, I expected more from him. But, you know, he's been, overall, he's been good. He hasn't been great, like the best lefty reliever that in baseball that he was last year. Adovino doesn't look like the Adovino from last year, and we all knew that that was coming. David Robertson, I think that, at some point, the wheels are going to fall off for him. And it's starting to. It's starting to. And that has a lot more of him being overworked than not his ability, to be honest. Because, like, overall, he's been fine. But it's like, I can't rely on this guy coming into the ninth inning down the stretch of the season. Like, for me, I need a dominant, hard-throwing, two-pitch, three-pitch reliever like Edwin Diaz. And they don't have that right now and this whole pitching to contact shit it's not it's not gonna work because this team especially with the pitch clock here location is gonna be all over the place and it will continue to be 
you know, as soon as, you know, the next generation of pitchers come in, there's still a lot more older guys here. I don't like the age. I don't like the risk of this at all. And I've talked about it way too many times. There's obviously teams where they have got a bunch of right-handed pitchers. They have a bunch of left-handed pitchers who are, who are you know, have d- disgusting stuff. We have a few of those guys, but we don't have a surplus of that. When the entire farm of guys who are hard throwers are all hurt, we don't have anything to back that up. We don't have what teams like the Yankees have, where they have a lot of guys who throw very, very hard. They throw gas. They have disgusting stuff. But yeah, they get hurt. They're going to get hurt. It just happens. But they also have that next man up. They have a lot of guys in their farm system at the higher levels that throw very, very hard. Those are recipes for building elite relievers. I know it sounds like stupid where, oh, you just need to throw hard. But like I've said multiple times, this era of baseball, it's different now. You got to hit the ball 100 miles an hour and throw the ball 100 miles an hour. And, you know, you'll have your anomalies or whatever, but this, but the main foundation of domination, that's just how it is now in this game. And they don't have anybody that throws in the high 90s. The hardest thrower on this team is Senga. He's not a reliever, or at least not yet. He might be with all the walks, but I understand why the pitching has sucked this year. It makes sense to me. It does. And you're just overall with the bullpen, and just the shortening of the game with a closer, you're really just seeing the loss of Edwin Diaz. And that's it's not going to change for a long time. And there's nothing that you can really do about it. But Buck is not doing himself any favors with how he's managing this bullpen whatsoever. The main reason why Dominic Leone is still here, by the way, they signed him to a major league deal. $1.2 million or something like that. Nagosik is out of options. And Tommy Hunter's out of options. The fact that he doesn't have options, oh well, just get better people in here because it isn't going to change it's like you said like how many times you have to do the same thing expect a different result like they're not good so move on do something else i mean it's just very frustrating to watch on a nightly basis i mean the games that the mets had like those great games we talked about last week those games could have been easy wins but they had to make three comebacks each game because the bullpen blew it every single time the mets made a comeback so it's like, how many times can you survive this? How many times can you overcome this? It's not a winning recipe. It's not sustainable. So it's just very frustrating when you watch this stuff happen all the time. Even the game against Colorado, you thought it'd be easy win at the end, and it's just like uh, Rayleigh's walking guys. Now here comes, you know, Robinson gives up the home run. Here comes Adovino again. Uh, they Escobar makes an error, and the Rockets just make a stupid on the field, and like they over, they were able to get out of it. Like you, you can't rely on that kind of stuff. It's just not going to get it done. They're, they're just missing that spark in the bullpen, and they just don't have it. They, For some reason, the Mets love to have their anomaly hard thrower of the one guy that throws gas, and then the rest of them rely on their movement and their curveball, and they're this and they're that. That's just not going to work. It just isn't going to work in this game these days. It's just not going to work. I make this joke all the time um, you know, with some of the, like, some fellow Mets fans that I talk to, like, a lot where a lot of the shitty pitchers, they always have the low 90s fastball with a good changeup. They always say that with the shitty pitchers. Like, that's literally all it is. And that's all I see this with this Mets bullpen and some of these arms. It's like, oh, mid-90s fastball with a good changeup. Great. 
what the hell is a changeup going to do for you at this point? <laughs> like, it just doesn't seem like the Mets want to provide enough to that meta. So as the Mets offense continues to try to find their footing, there has not been a more unusual sample than what the Mets have gotten from Francisco Lindor this season. In 2023, Lindor is slashing 232, 304, 424 with a 103 WRC plus in 227 plate appearances. It's not an overall great season for his caliber, but he does currently sit in third and runs batted in and tied for fifth in extra base hits in the National League. The biggest difference splits have been the leverage, as Lindor has an OPS over 1,000 in high leverage situations and an OPS over 900 with runners in scoring position. The Mets' 29-year-old star shortstop is still currently on pace for another five-win season, currently ranking fourth in wins above replacement among all shortstops. It is unusual because uh, the traditional old-school person who wants to be like, oh, the bad batting average and, you know, on base percentage it doesn't have good you know ops and all that stuff but uh, i like rbis so that's good i mean that's one way you, you're bad in one old man stab but you're good in another one uh, but the thing that's really interesting is that when you dive a little deeper then you can kind of see like where he's really good and where he's really bad and what kind of results in that up and down overall performance in the different numbers and one of the things that i said at the beginning of the year it's still a trend now he's hitting much better against lefties than he is righties that's just the way it is right now. He's pu he's pulling, and it's resulting in some good things. But I think from the left side, it, it may just be a tad too much. Uh, and maybe it could be. I mean, listen, I'm, I'm giving the benefit of the doubt here. This may be out of left field, no pun intended. But maybe because the lack of power in this team and the fact that nobody else can hit home runs, maybe Lindor's trying to take it upon himself to be like, I got to do it because Alonzo can't be the only guy, so I need to take more home run cuts because – I like the Lindor that's more of a pure hitter that goes to all fields and, and just doesn't hit the ball on the ground and roll everything over and is dropping down to a knee striking out. I, I like that Lindor better. I think that's a more productive overall player. That's my kind of player. But what I do like is that he's really good with runners on. He's very bad when there's no runners on. So, like, he just has these extremes. Uh, on baseball reference, he's good high leverage. I don't know about in fan grabs, he's good in their high leverage statistics as well. But it just seems like, you know, the, the walk-off hit against Cleveland. So if you do it when it matters, I like that. Uh, but when you're still talking about a WRC plus of like 103, the OPS plus of 99, like overall you're just average. And uh, like we, we talk about, with what he's getting paid, he needs to be better than average. So I like that he's driving in runs, but also I, I want to see him just be more of the Lindor from last year. Uh, and not the Lindor from two years ago. That's the player that I want to see. Uh, so we'll see what happens. I mean, if he will make any adjustments. Uh, you know what? Is his hand bothering him? Like, I, I don't really know what's going on. It is weird, but at least overall, there still is some production that he's he's doing it when it matters. So it's not like it's just a complete, you know, guy hitting 220 and, you know, OPS plus 99 where he's not doing anything for you. At least he's still giving you production. Like I say, he still has the good war and things like that. So it is a very odd year. Can't figure it out, but we'll see if the trends continue. I love this from Lindor. I absolutely love this because at this point, he said, fuck the batting average. He said, fuck all the stats. Fuck all of the meaningless awards. I want to help this team win. And that's what he's doing right here. I don't care what the hell he does at, at, 
in the beginning of the game or in the beginning of the season, he is one of the highest paid players on the team. And we obviously want to see him statistically do well and have these MVP caliber seasons. But at this point, MVP award is so meaningless. I just want to win a World Series. So if he helps us win and does it when it matters, that's all I really care about at this point. He's hitting for more power. He's not hitting the ball on the ground at all as compared to the rest of this fucking lineup. And that's what I'm happy about. Could he be better? Absolutely. 100% could be better. But he's doing it when it matters. And that's what I like about it. That's where you get paid, in my opinion. When you come up when we need you. And that was one of my biggest gripes. And I'll talk about it later in a, in a later segment. One of my biggest gripes with Max Scherzer last year you can have a fantastic season. You can be elite, a Cy Young Award caliber. But when it comes to the playoffs, when we need you most, are you going to come up big for us? That's where you make your money. And I don't care about his stat sheet right now. I only care about that one time where we need him and he comes through. Could he definitely be better? Absolutely. 100% could be better. He's coming through when we need him to be, and that's 100% what I need from him as one of the big boppers in this lineup. The ground ball rate is down significantly, but overall, the home run pace is not all that great, especially by his standards. He hit more home runs in Cleveland, so I'll ask you, do you think we're going to see 30-plus homers, and will it actually be worth it, this change of – not hitting the ground balls and hitting more fly balls, but we actually see the results because, okay, you're, you're lifting it, but if you're just hitting a lot of flyouts, how productive is it really? I want, what I want from Lindor is extra base hits. That's what I want because everybody else on this team, station to station to station, let's do the conga line with ball four. He's in the top 10 in the National League in extra base hits, and that's what I'm really liking right now. And he's coming through in the end of the game when we need him to. Do I think that he'll pick up overall his game? I'm not worried about that, 100%. I'm, I'm not worried about him overall as a hitter. If he wants to hit for more power, go right ahead. We need it so freaking bad. Just give me those extra base hits. That's what I like. I need those extra base hits. Those are what really, really helps you win. Because let's not forget, talk about one swing of the bat, the one solo home run, that equals your four singles. You put in a, you put in a, an extra base hit in the mix, you're scoring in two attempts right there. So that's what I need to see from Lindor. If he's going to be batting second, if he's going to be batting third, I need to be seeing those extra base hits. Whether it is a home run or a triple or a double, that's what I want to see. And that's what he has done at his best right now. And I like that he's taking the initiative to say, well, Pete's the only guy who hits homers, so you know what? Let me do it right now. I mean, he carried the team uh, the last game against Colorado. I mean, four RBIs out of the five runs scored, so I'll give him that. Uh, he let it off with a big home run. A uh, two-run shot with Nemo on. So, like you said, I mean, one swing in the bat, you got a few runs more than your five walks that they draw. So, um, I, I nothing like that. So, driving runs, RBIs are good. He, he was a really good RBI player last year. So, I, I do like RBIs. I mean, I, I was uh, raved about Escobar for it, so I might as well give him props for that. 
if we didn't have Brandon Nimmo, I would have I would just put Lindor in the leadoff spot. And I've talked about this before because if he's going to have these extra base hits, I would love to have that from the leadoff spot. And you know those guys with those sne- those sneaky pieces of power that can go for twenty to thirty home runs a year. You know I would love that in the leadoff spot. But we have Brandon Nimmo. We gave him one hundred sixty two million dollars to do that. So. Um, we don't have that luxury right now. We're just we're just gonna have to stick with one of the best center fielders in baseball. Oh well. Now before I get into this next story, I want to specify that I'm not confirming that this is correct. I'm just using it as a talking point and not as breaking news. So on Wednesday night, a tweet from a Twitter user named NY Chris from. Orlando came out saying the following source report Mauricio will be in City Field this Tuesday in the opening game of the series versus the Phillies if this person is correct this would be a big adrenaline shot for the team and it seems like Vogie is the odd man out. He now has the next four games to produce. Now, we all know that Ronnie Mauricio has turned a lot of heads this season, dominating AAA offensively, and he now has shifted to second base as his new position defensively with the value block from Francisco Lindor. I'm not saying, I'm again, I'm not going to confirm that this report was real because people lie all the time on Twitter. Who knows? I'm just going to use this as a talking point. Who has to go if you are bringing up Mauricio? Let's say that this is actually true. Who has to go? What roster moves do they actually have to make? Should it be just Daniel Vogelbach or should it be someone else? Or what should they do? How do they utilize this? It has to be Vogelbach. Uh, There's no debate. There's no question. There's no alternative. Um, Like I've said for weeks now, Vogelback is probably the most one-dimensional player in baseball. I've said every week because just look what happens. The guy is a one-base player at best, and that base is usually via walk. So he's not going to drive in a run. Um, He's so big, but yet has no power in that big body. Can't run, can't field, and then he's just hitting the ball on the ground all the time. And with his lack of speed, he, he can't make anything of it. He's the only guy where you could watch a third baseman drop the ball twice, a second baseman make a diving play, and it's out every time. So he can't beat those plays out. So if you're going to hit the ball on the ground, at least beat it out. He can't do that. He, he just It's just useless at this point. So I think when we talk about just overall roster construction, most valuable players under 26-man roster, he doesn't provide any value right. So Ronnie Marusio could do way more for you than Daniel Vogelback can. And, and Marusio, he's continued to perform really well in the minor leagues, hitting the ball hard, hitting home runs. And that's what we want because we say, you know, we watch the Marquez of the world. We watch the Daniel Vogelbacks of the world and we see them just not being very productive. And we're saying this team needs more power. We've slowly seen that improve with the additions of Alvarez and Beatty. If Vientos ever gets consistent playing time, maybe him as well. But I just think that uh, Vogelback, the other thing that's happening, and you're seeing it, I mean, if you are on Twitter, everybody is more so against him. Now Frank the Tank is leading, you know, the charge and getting rid of Vogelback, and people are making compilations of Vogelback just looking at pitches down the middle. There is pressure on him now. When they do get back to City Field, if he continues to do what he's doing, he's going to get booed out the stadium. And Vogelback is a guy who never had expectations, never had pressure. When you're playing in Pittsburgh, when you're playing in Seattle, nobody cares. No one's on you if you're not getting the job done. 
You're brought in here to be a DH, designated hitter. Not a DW, not designated walker. Here to be a designated hitter. He's not hitting, so he shouldn't be here if his role is to hit because he does not hit. So I think he is the odd man out. As much as I dislike Tommy Pham, no one else can play the outfield on this freaking team, so he needs to be the backup outfielder. So he has to stay. Escobar, he's done. Escobar has done more as a pinch runner than Vogelback has done as a designated hitter. So I'd rather have Escobar on this team than Vogelback. At least Escobar is also your backup shortstop in case anything were to happen. The emergencies that we always like to talk about. So I think that Vogelback is the guy who has the least value on this team. Has just isn't doing much for this roster. And I think that Ryan Mauricio, no matter what his role is, if it is DH, if it is second base, if it's third base, if he's your backup shortstop, if he maybe gets some starting shortstop, you can DH Lindor a little bit. At least he's still in the lineup, but he, he gets some rest off his feet. That would help this team out more than what Vogelback is doing and playing far too often, way, way too much. And if you bring in a lefty, he's useless. So, again, as one-dimensional as you can be, can only face righties, and when he faces righties, the best he could do is a walk. So he's the odd man out, and I'm just waiting. Like, I'm just – when is Mauricio going to be here? Because I can't watch it much more. And I think a lot of Met fans are getting fed up with watching it. For getting rid of Tommy Pham instead would obviously be Ronnie Mauricio. As much as they – again, we've seen him struggle a little bit defensively at second base, so I don't know if they're actually going to full-on commit to it, which kind of just defeats the purpose of this point. But you put Ronnie Mauricio at second, let's say you do. Where does that leave Jeff McNeil? He's going to left field. Canna becomes your fourth outfielder. Tommy Pham's out of here. So that's the only other thought that I've obviously had here. There's also another possibility, which they're not going to – they're obviously not going to do whatsoever. I'm – I definitely don't think they will. Escobar's another infielder. Ronnie Mauricio's an infielder. They'd swap them out. Not going to happen. They have to get rid of somebody, and they have to eventually give Ronnie Mauricio a chance. And you, you also just have to see what his value is to this team and what his future is to this team. There's nothing really else that he can do in AAA offensively, and it's not like he has much competition at DH up in the majors right now because they refuse to play the other guy it's not like he has that much of competition at dh like i've said there's not a dh on this team there's not an established dh on this team right now they don't want to see him at second base he could dh and replace vogelbach because he is a better left-handed hitter it makes sense for them to do it right now i hope that that tweet is right and he is there at city field against the phillies this week I 100% hope so. Does that mean that I am secretly deep down rooting for Vogelbach to play like shit? Maybe. We know that Mark Vientos is going to be playing these next three games. So maybe that may be the end of Daniel Vogelbach. And I'm really starting to get pissed off even more because yesterday before the game, Daniel Vogelbach said that I'm hitting the ball harder than ever I ever have in my career. I can confirm that is not true. And I also can confirm that you don't lift the ball. So what's the fucking point? You're not going to beat out the ground ball. You're fat as shit. You're not going to get any skinnier, apparently. So at this point, what the fuck is the point of even saying that? I don't know if he's just grasping for straws and he's just trying to prove that he's not, he's an innocent case in this, you know, anemic offense. But at this point, I mean, Cut it off. I mean, how much value can deteriorate with this guy? At the beginning, he had his power. He had, had some power. Now, he doesn't hit for power. 
now, and he still just can't play a position or face lefties. Now, all he does is walk. Now, all he does is look at pitches and strike out. Now, all he does is hit balls on the ground. He just continues to limit himself and limit himself. And as that happens, his WRC Plus is going down. He's at 101 now. Tick-tock, fat boy. Tick-tock. Yeah, and the other thing, too, is like even the rare instances when he does do something productive and he gets on base, if it's late in the game, you have to take him out of the game to pinch run. Yeah, exactly. If he actually gets on, you need a home run to get that guy home. So it's like, why even pay on base if no one can bring your fat ass in? So it's just enough already. It's time to just you know call it what it is. Another Epler failure where our bullpen is awful and Count Holdman's throwing just amazing two-seamers. I was going to bring that up, yeah. And we have this fat. It's an Epler move that it just seems like they're just trying to admit that it wasn't the wrong move, and, and it and clearly think, was. And I think that's the reason why Tommy Pham will be the guy who won't go because they gave him, what was it, $7 million, $8 million for him to go in like a month or two be another massive Epler failure. Dominic right? Leone will be the last guy to go in that bullpen, you know, because yeah, they mean, gave a, so, a contract again, to him. Yeah. Like, why, are you, why are you so sensitive? Why are you so defensive that you suck as a GM and won't admit all the mistakes that you make Time and time again, Darren Ruff, Vogelback, Leon, Fam. I mean, how many more mess ups is this guy gonna do? What, I mean, what was like a good move that Epler made? Are there any? I can't. Jeff Brigham. Yeah, I don't know. As um, a well, like you said, they don't even use the guy. So, like, what has he done? Drawing a blank. I don't know. Should we just get to the next topic at this point? Pretty much. I mean, I'm drawing a blank. Now, the biggest offensive headline has obviously come from their biggest bat, to no surprise. Pete Alonso currently leads the majors by a decent margin with 19 home runs, and it's not even June. He also leads the National League and runs batted in at 45. Now, at a 162-game pace, Alonso is on track for a 60-140 season in home runs and runs batted in. Now, last season, across the river, Yankee slugger Aaron Judge broke the AL single-season home run record, which was held by Roger Maris at 61 for over 60 years. Flashback to a few years ago, Alonzo passed Aaron Judge for the most home runs ever hit by a rookie in Major League history with 53 in 2019. Obviously, he's on a pace for 60. That would not be enough to pass Aaron Judge. He currently sits in Colorado where he could stat pat some home runs. So maybe it's a possibility. Let's talk about the burning question here. Could Alonzo actually pass Aaron Judge again? Could he hit 63 this year? I think there's two things going against Pete Alonzo. Uh, number one is that uh, Brett Beatty batting after him, based on to cool off a little bit. I think that if Alonzo does continue to be red hot and continues to be on a historic pace, Teams are going to be a lot more willing to walk him because they know that, you know, once you get past Beatty, you have the Vogelback and Canada and Marte, who's still struggling, and just all these guys who are just really bad errors, Tommy Pham behind him. So why would you even bother facing him if he's going to be the guy who carries the offense? The other thing going against him, which it may sound like I'm being like I'm joking around, but I'm actually being serious, is the ballpark. If Pete Alonso had Yankee Stadium and that short right field with the way Alonso could go the opposite field so well, he could definitely be in that 60 home run territory in that area. No problem. 
But I think uh, in the ballpark he plays, it is tougher to do. And I think that he doesn't have the protection that Aaron Judge had. And he doesn't bat second like Aaron Judge did. So he won't have as many plate appearances. So it's tougher for him to do. Pilato has the power. He has the talent to hit 60. But I think the practicality of the scenario of his team and the lack of help he has, I don't think it's going to. But even though he's, you know, he's another guy like Lindor who said, forget your batting average. I'm going for the long ball. And you know what? I kind of like it for him. So we'll see what happens, but I don't think it, it's going to happen, but it could. Happen. Just how you said right there about the protection in the lineup. And, you know, it's even more impressive that he leads the league in homers by a good, by a decent margin. I'm pretty sure he leads by three right now, something three or four. You know who's behind him in second place, of course, Jorge Soler, a guy that you said would have been perfect for the team. Don't even get me started. The ball is definitely a factor. It's not as juiced as it was in 2019, but in Pete Alonso's sake, that's actually not true. And I'll tell you right now, because I actually posted this yesterday on Twitter, going into May 26th or May 27th, they announced this now, his home run total was at 17 in 219 plate appearances. Now going into... Last night and also tonight, Pete Alonso's home run total now stands at 19 with 217 plate appearances. Two less, and he's got two more than that. So he definitely has a stronger pace than the 2019 season. I don't think the juice balls will have anything to do as long as he pulls the goddamn thing. If we're on the juice ball conversation, there's that whole theory of as Judge was getting close to the record, they were having more juice balls in Yankee games. If Alonzo does get close, I wonder if the same thing will happen for him. Possibly. Maybe you have more primetime games. You know, there's yeah. possibly you have the, have the juice ball there. But if he pulls the ball with the natural power that he has, I mean, I mean you know, obviously. It's like we always say, he just needs to hit it and the ball will go. I mean, that's the kind yeah, of Yeah, he's so naturally power powerful at the end of the day. I mean, yeah. he's so naturally powerful at the end of the day. I mean, he doesn't really need to pull the ball to hit home runs at this point. He's just so naturally strong. Yeah, I, I like his spray chart. I mean, he's had, uh, like, in, in Wrigley, when opposite field. I, I, I love the way he, he hits home runs all over the field. So that was He was the only one to hit that opposite, like, that opposite field and hit it that far. Like So, obviously, it's a rarity. You have the anomaly power hitters in this game, and Pete Alonso definitely could be one of those guys. Now, I don't know if he could do it, but I feel like if he were to have one of the Schwarber months that Schwarber had, what was it, 2021 or whatever? If he were to have one of those, I think that it's more possible. And there is a possibility when it does. But again, like we said, he doesn't have the protection to do that. Now, if he is chasing the record, we might be rooting for Francisco Alvarez to be batting fifth behind him at this point with that protection. And that's what I hope happens. Even now, again, I, I don't understand why your your second best hitter bats ninth. That, that makes no sense to me. Uh, he should be at five minimum. Minimum. And, and think about how different the lineup would be if Alvarez continues to heat up, You then you have to pitch to Alonzo. Because it's like if you walk him and then the other guy behind could also hit big-time home runs, now that's two runs on the board. So I, I hope they, they do make that change at some point if things continue to go the way they're going. Right? Home runs around your home run hitter create more home runs. I mean, that's literally, it's just, that's that's how you look at it. And it's, it's incredible. It's an incredible concept, isn't it? I mean, I'd love to see it. I would love to see it. I would love to see him break that record, obviously. But at the end of the day, I mean, I just want to win. Like I've said, I don't care about those statistics at the end of the day. It's cool. 
but it's like, you know, you got to come through when it matters. And that's what we're seeing with Pete Alonso. And that's what you're all, you also saw with Aaron Judge's season last year. He came yeah. up big for them a lot. So you're, you're definitely seeing some, some mirrors, shall we say. But I think that obviously this is a conversation you can talk about a little bit further down the line. But the fact that he is basically set on such a ridiculous pace and he has basically created so much space between him in the home run leader and number two on that list. I mean, it's definitely something to think about. And we all know he is capable of doing that. And we all know that he's a little bit more of an advanced hitter than he was in that rookie year. So if he if he wanted to do it, he could. And it looks like he wants to, because it doesn't look like he's trying to hit for much contact these days, you know, with a franchise that we haven't really seen many home run hitters. Yeah. Like, so again, the whole like Met Yankee thing that also has another element to it. So to see like a Met Yankees record will also be nice. I would love to see one day, I'd love to see Alonzo and Judge like battle it out for the home run title, just like go back and forth, kind of like a Maguire Sosa type of thing. That mm -hmm. would be cool. Um, one day I hope that does happen because again, it would just, you know, put more eyes on New York baseball. So, I mean, it's epic. Let's get to everybody's favorite segment, studs and duds. One player that has played fantastic. Want to give our roses to throughout the week. And then one who has really pissed us off throughout the week and has played like shit. I'm going to start with my stud because I have given this guy a lot of heat in the last few weeks, last month or so talking about him making a lot of excuses for the money that he makes. But the last two starts in this span of the week, he's looked fantastic. Max Scherzer, last night, one run ball in Coors Field, and then the six scoreless innings in the first game of the doubleheader against Cleveland. It looks like things are starting to come together. I like it. Keep building on it. Of course, I need to see what he does in the postseason where he actually makes his money. But right now, we need that starter consistency from our rotation. And he is one of the main guys that we need it from. And hopefully, by the time that this is out, Verlander did that as well tonight. You know, th that's a great choice, especially because uh, with Max, he's a guy that, despite how bad Colorado's been year in, year out, never won a start in course field before. So uh, the fact that he finally was able to accomplish that uh, good for him because that's usually a bad ballpark for him. So at least he's able to overcome that. I'm actually going to pick a guy that I normally uh, just let fly under the radar. I'm going to give the nod to Brandon Nemo. I, I really like the week oh, that yeah. he had. Uh, he had a few games oh, where yeah. he got on base multiple times and really capped it off very well in the first game against Colorado with two triples. And I'll tell you what, Brandon Nemo, the Wyoming kid in Coors Field, is a confirmed 99 overall. Whenever he's in that ballpark, he tends to have at least a triple each time. So he's just always unstoppable there. So I'm expecting him to keep that going in this Colorado series. So uh, you know what? He's getting paid the bucks. He's got the 300 average. He's got the 130 plus uh, WRC plus. So, uh, I mean, he's playing really good ball right now. So I got to give him credit in the lineup every day. So I I'll give him his props where it's due. Uh, and you know what? In that leadoff spot, him getting on a lot of times a game, it just gives the Mets a lot of opportunities to score for Lindor, McNeil, Alonzo to bring them home. So uh, that's a recipe for success. So keep up the good work, Brandon. Brandon Nimmo being Brandon Nimmo. I mean, that's that's what we expect from a guy who just gave 162 million dollars. I mean, I'm I'm very I'm very uh, I'm very pleased with what I'm seeing from him. And the main factor with him, and I want to say this once again, he's healthy. He is healthy. He is in the lineup every single day, which has been a very 
big problem, and I know he's going to get injured tonight after I said that, but <laughs> top of the lineup, bottom of the lineup, you need a lot of produce production from there, and that's definitely what we've seen. I'll go right back to you for the dot of the week. I had the rant about him before, but I have to keep it going. It's still Vogelback. I mean, uh, and, and the most frustrating part about it is it's bad enough to be bad, okay? Like, we understand it. It's frustrating that he's performing so badly, but what's even more frustrating is the fact that he is, I don't want to say stunting the growth, but he is blocking Mark Vientos from getting a chance to show what he could do and actually provide some change to this team because it's like, Volkerback's playing really bad, but what are you going to do about it? You replace him with a guy who could actually hit home runs and have some power. Uh, let the young kid get a chance because we saw Alvarez. He struggled at first, but then he got it going. I want to see if the same could happen for Vientos. You know what? He got these couple of really big hits when he first got called up this year, helping the Mets win some games. And what's his reward? Playing on the bench in favor of Daniel Vogelback. Buck said Vientos is going to get his opportunity now. He's going to play three games in a row. We'll see how long that lasts. I, I want to see if the answers really get a chance because the fact that Vogelback is blocking him and potentially even Marusio from being on this team, that's ridiculous because he doesn't have, number one, the salary, the track record, or the performance for any of that stuff to be the case that it is right now. So it, it's just very frustrating because of what he's impacting and, and what the ramifications are for his bad performance. I feel like it's just... The fact that he's still here is because he's a Billy Epler move, and they're just trying so goddamn hard for that to work. He didn't bring in Mark Vientos. He was not drafted. He was drafted by Brody Van Wagenen, who loves to hype him up. Hell yeah. Cut their losses when they become losses, and it doesn't look like they want to do that yet. Hopefully that that tweet that we talked about earlier, it was correct, and Ronnie Mauricio is up after this Colorado series. More and more proof that Billy Epler has not done a good job this year. And I I honestly would be surprised if he has a job with the Mets next year, uh, especially with the way that Marte, Canna, and Escobar have all played this year. I mean, again, what has he done that proves him or, or, or shows him being worth getting the job? Because bringing in Scherzer, bringing in Verlander, that's all the owner. You know what I mean? So, like – Anybody that has a big pocketbook behind them could make those moves. So I can't give Epler credit for any of that. Uh, again, we don't even love bringing the 40-year-olds to begin with. So, I mean, it's just bad move after bad move. And then it just becomes worse because to try to defend it and justify it. I mean, hopefully we get to that point. But it just seemed like the obvious quick move at this point. And, you know, hopefully this does decide. And I really hope that Mark Vientos has a, has a ridiculous stretch in these three games. I really hope he does. And just, you know, has that Dom Smith knocking Robinson Cano off the roster type of situation where, you know, he just basically just takes that just takes it just takes the job and you just mentioned him actually for my dud starling Marte. <laughs> i understand he did have the winning hit or whatever in that doubleheader or whatever the first game of the doubleheader but this guy looks so bad and i'm again i'm hoping that this guy is injured but he's stealing so many bases so i don't think he's totally injured i just don't know what's going on with him sprint speed is down like he's just he looks like a completely different player i expected him to decline as this contract goes into the four years but not like this not as bad as it is right now and he's got to get it together 
or, you know, there's, there's going to be a problem and, and we're going to, you know, end up trading for Michael Conforto at the deadline. So, but I, I can say overall right now, and it's been a thought of mine, you know, for the past like three, four days, this contract's looking really scary. Only year two. Yeah, it's only year two right now, and uh, it's a hard four years. There's no out. I, I'm really hoping that I'm wrong, and he picks it up towards the end of the season. We all know he's not going to get any better than he was last year. He's now 34 years old. He's not young. So I'm scared. I really am scared with the whole situation with Marte, and I hope that I hope that he does pick it up because he is, you know, whether you can bring in as many prospects as you want into this lineup, he still is a very important piece to this roster. So now that brings us to your rapid fire stories. The Mets have designated Gary Sanchez for assignment as the corresponding move to activate Tomas Nito off the 15 day injured list. Sanchez had seven plate appearances with the Mets over the past week, went one for six with a walk, a single, and an RBI. Omar Nervaez has begun his rehab assignment in High A Brooklyn this week. Nervaez currently sits on the 60-day IL due to a medium-grade calf strain, which has sidelined him since the second week of April. He is eligible to be activated in early June. Earlier this week, Mets pitching prospect Mike Vassell left the game early in the fifth inning after giving up five earned runs. Binghamton reported that he was removed for precautionary reasons and is considered day-to-day -day with the unknown injury not being reported. After being optioned to AAA Syracuse, Mets left-handed pitcher David Peterson won the International League's Pitcher of the Week after an eight-scoreless inning performance last Sunday. Parting words for the Alonzo episode, the Hojo episode. Who else we got? I don't even know. I feel like there's not anything you said last week. I don't remember what it was. Yeah, I mean, uh, big week coming up. Get to face the Phillies. That's always a, a big deal. Uh, I know the Phillies have had a down year after making the World Series last year, but we know those games are always going to be tough. We know they're still going to hit the ball out of the ballpark. So will the Mets be able to answer that? Will they have some offense of their own? Uh, then you get to face the Blue Jays, another team that's not really lived up to expectations but can hit the ball out of the ballpark. So I think we're going to end for a good treat uh, this week. We're going to see some interesting matchups. And uh, hopefully the Mets can uh, keep it going and keep uh, gaining ground on the Braves and keep doing well in that wild card race, just stay in the hunt, uh, stay above 500, and you know we'll see where they're at next week. Mark Vientos, you're my guy to watch this week. Please take the job from Daniel Vogelbach. It's all yours. Just take it. It's right in front of you. Just grab it. It's all yours. Just keep doing what we're doing here. We got to get length from these starting pitchers like we've been getting. It's just got to keep it up. Hopefully they can continue to consistently win. And, uh, you know, maybe we can get a nice little win streak in there. Other than that, let's go Mets. We'll see you guys next week for episode 21.